Welcome everyone. Thanks for coming out on this not quite summery night. I feel like a stranger here. Um, so I'm Pastor Skip, if you don't know me. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And um, this is, I haven't been up to teach since like last October. So, wow. All right. So was that, a, I don't know if that's a good thing or. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing that I wasn't here. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, most of you know I had uh, some, some back problems that I had worked on. I'm doing pretty well, recovering, getting back in the grind of things. Uh, everyone's asking, so I thought I'd get it all out of the way with one shot. I only have to answer the questions one time that way. So I had an uh, artificial disc put in my back. So. Yeah, so. so I'm getting back into the swing of things. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, tonight we are going to start looking at um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, Before I left, we had sort of gotten to the Feast of Passover. I taught one week on the Feast of Passover. Pastor David Brickner came in, he did a traditional Seder for us, and and taught uh, even more in depth on the Feast of Passover. Moving off of the Passover in Exodus 12, we we reach Exodus 13. In Exodus 13, there's a couple more feasts that Israel is required to um, adhere to in their um, national life. Uh, And and that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Firstfruits. So we'll be looking at those for the next few weeks. um, And um, I'll... I'll, uh, Tonight we'll be looking at unleavened bread. So next week we'll move into the feast of first fruits, and then in uh, we're on the last Wednesday of this month we're going to have a, a worship and communion service, and so I I strongly encourage you all to get there. Uh, it should be a great time of refreshing and cleansing in the Lord. And then we'll pick back up in March with uh, Pastor Kyung is actually going to come up and teach. Um, on uh, First Fruits as well. So that'll be a two-part series. I think Kyle's focus next week will be more as Christ as the First Fruits. Kyung's focus will be more of a stewardship principle in the um, First Fruits. So that's kind of where we're heading, where we've been. We've been basically in the law for several weeks. Since coming back together for the spring Um, series, we've been talking about the law. Why are we talking about the law so much? The reason we're talking about the law so much is this entire incident in the history of the Israelite nation is the beginning of God actually giving them laws to adhere to. Before this point, as they had been captured in in bondage in Egypt, um, they were kind of they just live life the way they live life, and there wasn't really sort of an outline or a pattern or a prescription uh, for how they were to live necessarily. Of course, there's always the sort of law written on your hearts of good and evil, but there wasn't uh, a transcribed law for them. This Passover, uh, God gave very specific uh, detailed instructions on how they were supposed to perform the Passover, 
Many of you were here. It was supposed to be a lamb, less than one years old, no blemish. You had to kill it a certain way. If you couldn't eat all the food, you had to combine it with other families so that it all got eaten. If you didn't finish it all, you had to burn it in the fire. I mean, there was all kinds of... of uh, and we looked at what each of those meant. And, um, and so all of a sudden, we're moving into a section where God's saying, look, here, I want things done in certain ways. And so the law really is introduced. Now, they're, Passover, they get out of Egypt, they cross over the river, they um, get to the other side, and that's where we're picking up, unleavened bread. Um, and God gives them another direction. And eventually, they're going to get to Mount Sinai. God's going to give them the Ten Commandments, on, or well, you know, depending on how you, how you want to measure them out. Um, he's going to give them the law on Sinai. And, um, and then Exodus continues that theme. In ex- later in Exodus, you're going to see uh, Exodus 21 through 23, basically where we get our criminal justice system from and the laws that we have today come out of what they call the covenant law, which is in Exodus 21 through chapter 23. So Exodus is sort of the book of the law, and the reason is God's giving, starting to give instructions to his people on how to live. The law is introduced, and, and unleavened bread is one of them. Now, they're principles of grace. They are principles of life, but they're still the law. He expects you to obey them. So um, hopefully that sort of gives you a, a brief, quick overview um, of where we've been and where we're going. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the, the text from Exodus chapter uh, 13, verses 3 through 10. It's on your page if you don't have a Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, at, at the break, grab one, because after the break, we're going to be going through it. Um, so you're going to need more than just this piece of paper later on. But for now, this is sufficient. So we'll read through this together. We'll give you time to reflect on it, and then we're going to um, break up into groups. I have a few questions for you to answer, and we're going to come back together, and then we're going to start um, looking at what unleavened bread means, some of the symbolism uh, and practical implications of why God gave the law uh, of unleavened bread, and then um, hopefully we'll all get blessed. All right? So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to sit down and reflect on it and see what it has to say to us tonight. Um, we know that your, your word is living and active. Um, it has the ability to reach deep places in our souls and to challenge us and to encourage us and to uh, teach us and to move us in new directions. It has um, an, just an astounding uh, capacity to give us life in our inner being and to, even, even though we may have read the same passage many times before, every time we open it, it can speak new life. So I pray that it would do that tonight. I pray you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Allow us to really sort of um, uh, be able to apply things to our own life out of whatever it is you're trying to speak tonight. So give us open hearts, whatever we have going on in life that might distract us. I pray we would be able to lay that aside. Um, lay it at the altar, as it were, and just say, God, take this from me so that I can hear you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Okay. Um, I'll read this, and then I would like you to take about five minutes to sort of make your own observations, uh, reflect on it, sort of settle your soul, and see what things jump out at you. And then in your groups, you may talk about anything that jumped out at you or um, any of the questions or both, hopefully. Uh, verse 3, Exodus 13, 3 through 10. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to give, uh, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Take about five minutes. Uh, if you have a pen, you can make some notes. You can make mental notes. And just sort of reflect on maybe what God has to say to you out of this, something that might jump out at you. Okay. Um, let me tell you what's in the packet. The first page is from Jews for Jesus. It outlines the seven feasts. Uh, they say feasts of Israel. Uh, I like to say the feasts of the Lord uh, because they are God's feasts, not Israel's feasts. Um, and we'll look at that in a minute. Um, and then there's four pages from a book called The Feast of the Lord um, by Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal. And we're going to go over those in a minute. But let's start with the first page. Um, this page here, Feasts of Israel. There's a quick, I like this page because it gives you a, a quick, brief description of each of the seven feasts that Israel celebrated. Okay? Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Levit Leviticus 23. give you a minute to find that. It's right after Exodus Numbers Leviticus Deuteronomy Yeah Leviticus 23 Okay in, in this chapter it says the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and tell them the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, these are my feasts. 
Okay, so they're, they're, they're the Lord's feast. Six days, the first one's the Sabbath. Six days shall work be done on the seventh is a Sabbath. A, holy re- a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord. Secondly, the Passover and unleavened bread. Now here they combine them. And over the history of the, uh, the Jewish nation, the Israelites sort of combined these two feasts because they went hand in hand. Passover, they got out of Egypt immediately, Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why if you hear the eight days of Passover, well, what's happened was you have the Passover and then you have the seven days. Remember, Unleavened Bread, seven days you shall eat no bread with leaven in it, right? So you have the, the Passover, Sabbath, then you have the seven days of Feast of Unleavened Bread. You have the eight days of Passover, okay? That's where that comes from. So uh, the Passover and Unleavened Bread, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover, okay? And on the 15th day of the same month is a Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, on the first day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work on it. So the first day is like a Sabbath day. Um, and you shall uh, offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. And then on the seventh day, another sort of Sabbath day, no work, holy conversation, uh, convocation. In other words, just gathering together again. All right. Um, then... Feast of first fruits, that's going to be next week. And picking up in verse 15, Feast of Weeks, uh, which is basically uh, the seven weeks after uh, Passover. And then the, the next day, which is the 50th day, is what we refer to as Pentecost. Seven weeks of seven days, and the next day is 50. So Penta, 50. Pentecost, um, which in, in Christian... Uh, history is the 50th day after Jesus, uh, after the, the Passover there with Jesus, the Holy Spirit came, okay? And um, you can read about that in Acts 2. Um, so there's the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. There's your seven feasts, okay? They're all in chapter 23. They're all in nice and neat one place. God's saying... These are um, times that you are supposed to gather for remembrance of something, and I want you to keep these. Don't forget to do this, okay? So they're very, these are not like um, our holiday, like, you know, Fourth of July or, or something like that, where it celebrates a, a certain time of history, but it's man-made. It's, it's, it's not God saying, you have a holiday on this day. Okay, a holy day on this day. Okay? These, these days are God saying, look, these are the days that, that I want you to, to um, set aside. And so uh, all these feasts have meaning. You can do tons of studies out of the feasts themselves. Um, and just to summarize as quickly as I can, basically the seven feasts, are all um, uh, shadows of what Christ did and will do. I'll put it that way, did and will do. So for instance, we had 
the Passover Seder with David Brickner as he went through the meal and as he talked about the scriptures of the Passover, each thing, here you eat bitter herbs, reminds you of your time when you were in Egypt and you were in bondage and you were in slavery. And then we have the, you know, um, and he went through the whole thing, right? That is true of every feast. There, it's symbolic of Christ in each one. Now, there's, there's four spring feasts. Okay? Uh, remember, Israel is a very agricultural-centered um, nation. Okay? Four of these feasts were designed to be in the springtime, and they spoke of spring th- uh, things. Uh, if you look on the next page where the seven feasts are kind of outlined in a chart, you will see Passover, the season, spring, new beginning. It has this redemptive feel. Uh, it, it, it reminds them that they were freed from bondage in Egypt. Um, but what happened? Christ had to die. So there was blood shed um, to save them. Um, and they were passed over. The Lord passed over their houses, didn't kill their firstborn because of the blood of the Lamb that protected them, right? Anybody getting the symbolism here? No? Nobody? Yes. All right. All right. Um, so it, it's significance. Uh, believers in Christ redeemed from bondage. Uh, there's scripture notation, and then the event that, that sort of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It, it uh, sort of played out. I'm looking for a word here. But there's an, the event, the last column. This is the future significance that's actually fulfilled. Okay? So in spring, I didn't hear, did you? Fulfillment. Fulfillment? Yeah, it, fulfillment. Um, fulfilled is, yeah, that'll work. So, close enough. Wasn't the word I'm looking for, but it's a good word. Um, There's a fulfillment in the future of all these festivals. So, for um, Passover, it was the crucifixion. It was the lamb slain on the cross. For unleavened bread, spring symbolizing new life, they purged out all the leaven. What was leaven in the Bible? It 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 referred to sin, purge out all the sin. Um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, you know. Um, and so there's this purging that goes on uh, in the old, and we're going to talk about what it looked like in its, its, its old observance. Uh, they kind of swept pieces of crumbs into the, uh, into the uh, they go like in the corners and find stuff. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. The future significance um, all believers in Christ cleansed from sin and empowered to walk in the newness of life. Scripture notations, we'll look at those in a minute. Uh, the event um, is our justification and sanctification. We'll look at those in a minute. So down we go. So first fruits, springtime, feast of weeks, late spring. That's all right. All those things have been, if you look at the event column, the first four were um, fulfilled with Christ's first coming, okay? So you have uh, the crucifixion, you have our being cleansed of sin, our purging out of the leaven, 
You have the resurrection of Christ, which symbolizes the first fruits. Kyle's going to talk about this next week. First fruits, um, the, uh, the resurrection of Christ. There's very, Christ as the firstborn is, is very symbolic of, of uh, first fruits. And then finally, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Okay. When you get to the fall feast, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Booths, these are all um, these are all feasts that have not yet been fulfilled in our modern uh, understanding of them. So that is future. Now we're talking about type of you know prophetic stuff, Book of Revelation, Second Coming. Um, there's there's going to be a time. Uh, when Israel comes back to the Lord, according to scriptures, when they repent and they return and a remnant, 144,000 return to the Lord, and then there will be the rapture and uh, all this good stuff where um, bowls of uh, judgment are poured out and you know half the world's on fire and all kinds of good <laughs> stuff. So, so we got that to look forward to, maybe. Depending on your understanding of, and you, that's why I don't understand why everybody else should be pre-rapture for the church. So, um, <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I'm joking. All right. Um, so all those things, um, you know, culminating with the feast of booze, which is the final harvest, God bringing in the final collection of uh, people into the kingdom and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, okay? All right. Wonderful stuff here. Enough to do a study on for a whole year. Fun stuff, okay? Um, and then there's, I gave you on the front the, the seven short descriptions. We're just going to look at unleavened bread right now. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs simultaneously with Passover. It begins the day after Passover Eve, it lasts for seven days. Because they're so closely related in time and purpose, the names are often interchangeable. During Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Jewish people put away all leaven from their houses and they eat unleavened bread or matzo. Okay? That's where we get matzo from. Um, in other words, it, it doesn't have a, a yeast component. Okay? So it doesn't rise. Uh, it doesn't have... And, and yeast is, is like the... The word yeast in, I forget what the Hebrew word is, means like souring, um, uh, is sour, basically. And matzah itself means sweet. So you can see the difference between leavened and unleavened bread. One is, one is sour and one is sweet. Okay? Um, leaven in scripture is usually a symbol of sin. The unleavened matzah graphically portrays the pure and sinless Messiah. All right, we're, one of your questions was symbolism, right? It is pierced even, though our, even as our Lord was pierced by the nails in his hands and feet and the Roman spear in his side, and it is striped in the baking, reminding us that Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53.5, okay? There's a short description on every feast there, so if you're interested in the feast, you can get yourself a little bit of a head start there. All right, next page, modern uh, observance. Let me make sure I'm not getting too far ahead of myself here. Um, 
Yeah, let's stop and answer question one. Um, what is the practical reasons for the, uh, the no leaven in the bread, according to the couple of verses I gave you? What's that? No sin. That, that's more the symbolic reason. What were the practical reasons? I gave you a couple of scriptures. They got to get out of town fast. That's it. Yeah, this was done in haste, okay? And so there was no time to bake bread. Uh, it was pack up for tomorrow we go. And so um, the, the, the practical reason for no leaven in the bread really is, is that, okay? Um, now, symbolic meaning, that, that's a little different, and we're going to get into that in a second. Let's read the modern observance on page, uh, it'll say page 67, but it's the second page of your handout. Um, Observant Jewish households begin their painstaking preparations weeks before the arrival of Passover. Walls are washed and painted. Cooking utensils are scalded. Clothing is washed with pockets turned inside out. Carpets cleaned. Vacuum bags are discarded. And even special china dishes are bought, brought out for the feast. Everything is scrubbed, scoured, cleaned, and aired in preparation. The night before Passover Eve, after evening prayers in the synagogue, the father of each household will perform the, and you know, pardon me because I, I don't know Jew, uh, the Hebrew, Bedekit Hamas, or search for leaven ceremony. This ancient ceremony purges the last vestiges of leaven from the house. Earlier that evening, the mothers of the house had gone around and placed a few bits of bread in several corners or on windowsills um, of the house so that there will be some leaven uh, present to be found by the father when he goes around to perform the, the ceremony. After reciting the benediction for the occasion, the father begins his search. He uses an old wooden spoon in one hand and a goose feather in the other. By candlelight, he searches the room to room to discover the distributed bread scraps. The children follow around with great excitement as he carefully uses a feather to sweep the bread, he finds onto the wooden spoon. Finally, the bits of bread, the wooden spoon, and the feather are all placed inside a bag, wrapped in a cloth. It's tied with a thread, and then it's set aside and it's burned uh, the next morning. Okay. Um, there's, turn, turn the page. There's more there. I'll let you read that on your own. Um, and um, so down to the, the uh, uh, fulfillment here, okay? So sin is often pictured as leaven in Scripture. Matthew 16, 6, Mark 8, 15, and on they go. Lots of, of uh, scriptural references to leaven being uh, sin. The ancient rabbis also believed that leaven represented eat the evil impulse of the heart. Leaven is well-suited as a picture of sin since it rapidly permeates the, do the dough. It contaminates it. It's a, and here's that word again, souring it, fermenting it, swelling it to many times its original size without changing its weight. In fact, this souring process, the first stage of decay, is operative solely because of the curse of death decreed by God when Adam sinned. Since leaven pictures sin, only unleavened bread or matzah was used 
in the temple. Offerings had to be pure. Anything leavened was deemed impure and unfit. As with the other feasts of the Lord in Leviticus 23, the prophetic meaning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is found in the work of the Messiah. Passover pictures... Now, here, I'm going to... We're going to go over these again. Passover picture, pictures the substitutionary death of the Messiah as the Passover lamb. Feast of Unleavened Bread pictures the burial of the Messiah. Okay, there's a symbol there. And then next week we'll talk about first fruit, which pictures the resurrection of the Messiah. Hebrew prophets foretold a day when the Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin. He would be the lamb offered up by God as the once-for-all sacrifice. The prophet declared of the Messiah, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Um, and then let's uh, flip over to the last paragraph on the last page. The Messiah fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread and that he was pure, sinless, no leaven. All right? It was a pure, sinless sacrifice. God validated this by the Messiah's burial in a rich man's tomb. Okay? So... Jesus, even though he was a criminal and should have been buried out in Gehenna, which is a, a, the place where they discarded the garbage and burned it in those days, um, he should have gone to Gehenna and been burned up with the rest of the garbage as a criminal. But God pronounced him sinless, and he wasn't buried there. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Um, he validated the Messiah's burial, Furthermore, the body of the Messiah is not per permitted to decay in the, the grave like dough soured by leaven, but was brought forth because he was not a sinner under the curse of death and decay. Okay. Um, so what we have here um, is the second question. What are some of the symbols? Okay. Uh, Anybody, anybody want to answer these before I get going? What do you guys have? Anything? Did you have this? Right. It's good. That's good. Um, for those of you listening on tape, my batteries died, but I'm back to life. I'm resurrected, as it were. All right, so the Passover speaks of the cross and the death of the Lamb. Um, the unleavened bread uh, proclaims that the ravages of death would not be experienced by Jesus in the grave because he was sinless. So there's this symbolic meaning that um, the bread needs to have no leaven in it because our Messiah, our Savior, needs to have no sin in him. If he had any sin in him, he could not redeem us, okay? Because if then when he dies, uh, death owns him. But death had, the Bible's clear, death had no claim on him. Death is only the penalty for sin that we see in Genesis 2 and 3, right? Death is the penalty for sin. If you don't sin, you don't die. If you die and you're sinless... Death has no hold over you. 
There was no decaying of the body, and there was no um, uh, death could not hold him. So Jesus was resurrected, which we'll look at next week. So this is the symbolic meaning, um, which I found I found it very interesting too that they would that that the in the traditional observance they would burn all the the leaven and the spoon and the 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 goose feather that they used and everything and throw it throw it out in the garbage and um, I was reading other passages on it and you know Jewish boys remembering the night before they had to take all the loaves of bread out of the house and there'd be big bonfires with their dads and their sons out in front of the house and they'd throw all the bread in there and it'd just get you know just go up in flame and um it reminded me of the picture, you know, of, of, you know, literally heaven and hell. And that if you die in sin, that there's this judgment, this Gehenna, this garbage place where uh, things get burned up. And, but Christ did not go there because he was sinless. And we have the same opportunity to not have to go there because um, by the blood we are made as white as snow, washed and cleansed um, and forgiven. And so this, is, this process that we're talking about here is known as justification. In other words, uh, Jesus justifies us. He cleanses us. He makes us right in God's sight. We are no longer sinners. Um, so, you know... Uh, when, when God sees us, he doesn't see us, even though we're flawed and broken, he doesn't see us that way. He sees us as perfect, and he sees us able to be in his presence, because if you were um, uh, flawed at all, and you come into the presence of a holy God, you're going to be toast. Um, darkness cannot be in the presence of light. And so without our being justified or cleansed or washed white as snow, we have no business in front of a holy God. We would be consumed. Okay? Are you seeing the picture I'm talking about here? Okay. So that's what justification is. Now, the second thing that's going on here is, is, is sanctification. Okay? Um, There is, um, the leaven speaks of Christ, but it also, there's, I'm seeing the picture of them cleansing their house. God saying, purge out the leaven. Get the sin out of the house. Now, did I just redeem you? Did I just buy you back from bondage? Did I just deliver you from your enemy? Are you no longer cursed and under, you know, the uh, death sentence? Yes. But that doesn't mean you can go live any way you want to live. Okay? So we are cleansed, made holy, made right in God's sight. We are sinless in his eyes. But there's, that's justification. But there's also this sanctification where God's saying, now live like it, okay? All right, you have been made righteous. You are right in my sight. You are cleansed. 
Now I need you to live the way I've actually made you. Okay, that's, and that is a lifelong process. Okay, that's what we call our walk with God. And so it means uh, that we need to continue to um, work at it. Uh, there has to be an effort on our part. Notice that, that this isn't just something that God said, okay, you're delivered. You're delivered in this one time. Um, you, now you're, you're free, and don't worry about it ever again. Now he's saying, I need you to take inventory. I want you to cleanse your house, and I want you to do it every year, over and over again. And I want you to be reminded of what happened. And I want you to tell your children so that they will remember to do this as well. And so there's this continuation process uh, that sanctification looks at. Um, there's always tension between the reality of our fallen nature and our desire to be holy as he is holy. Uh, if you look at Leviticus 19.1, and for the sake of time, I'm going to just read these. Leviticus 19.1, the Lord says, Speak to the congregation of, uh, of the children of Israel and say to them, Be holy for the Lord your God, I am holy. Leviticus 11.45, For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. There's this... Um, sort of dichotomy almost going on where, yes, God makes you perfect and you are cleansed and there's nothing he can't forgive you of. And yet, you're, you're supposed to, to live a godly life. You're supposed to live well for him. And so he wants you to be sinless and yet this, when you, he knows you're going to sin, Right? And he knows when you sin, you can be washed and be cleansed white as snow, but that doesn't give you permission to go sin. And so there's this, it's always this sort of wrestling match in the life of the believer of how do, you know, you know what is, you know, how much do I have, is my part and how much is God's part? And uh, it's, it's this constant tension you have to live in as a believer. But the fact of the matter is, God is, um, he, he calls us to live a life that is holy. There are, there is grace, by all means. But I think, you know, sometimes uh, we take advantage of that grace. Um, I know in my own life, I've done it. Uh, you know, make a you do something, you kind of know it's wrong, and you just go, well, God will forgive me. You know, and, and that's called cheap grace. And, and that's, that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us contending all the time. If there's something in your life you can't get over, you can't get past, you can't get through, you know, there's, you know God says, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever get to the place where you just say, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I'm all right. I'll just leave that in my life. You need to contend for it. All right? Be holy as I am holy. And the whole, I mean, the whole ceremony is, is speaking of both sides, which is what I love. 
yeah, he's sinless, and it makes us sinless, and yet he's calling us to be sinless. And so there's this, this truth and tension going on. And, um, and I think it, it, it's something... Well, let me use 1 Corinthians 5 as an example. In 1 Corinthians 5, the congregation, I'll call it, the church of Corinth, uh, had decided that they, had under, they understood the grace of God, and so they said, you know what, we've got this guy who's sleeping with his mother or something, I don't know, with some sort of sexual sin that was going on. And, um, and Paul writes them, and he says, look, um, you know what, you guys are bragging about how gracious you're being to this person who's living a life that is clearly against scriptural moral principles. And he says, if I was there, I would judge him. Because God says to get rid of that stuff, purge out the leaven. Get rid of the leaven. And here's the exact, here's what, here's what Paul says in verses 6 through 8. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened, okay? Now, what's he saying? You're truly unleavened. He's saying the first part. This is the first part. You are justified, all right? You are sinless in God's sight. So live like it. Live like it, okay? You've already been unleavened. God got the leaven out of you already, So don't put up with leaven coming back in. Purge the leaven out. Uh, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Interesting passage. Very interesting passage. Okay? So this is New Testament now we're talking here. Paul's telling them, Here's what the feast is. Here's what's really going on in the feast. You are justified, but sanctification is a different thing. You need to contend for righteousness. You need to live holy. You need to work at it. And don't put up with stuff. You know why you don't put up with that stuff? Don't say, look, this is great. We got this guy, he's sleeping with his mother or something. And we're so loving and gracious, we're never going to call it call him up on it. He's, that's ridiculous. He goes, a little leaven, leavens, leavens the whole loaf. In other words, it's going to permeate the entire community. Sin and that, right? What, is, what did the leaven do? Huge, right? Expands. It gets everywhere. It, gets, it grows and it's fast and it moves and it sours the whole loaf. Okay? Purge that leaven out before your whole community is infected by it. Okay? Purge out the leaven. Are you guys you following me? Okay. All right. Justification, sanctification, two different things. They're both, they work hand in hand. Okay? Both and. God cleanses us, but we got some work to do. All right? Um, so, I got... Tons of stuff here, but we're going to move on. We'll get to the last one because we're just about out of time. Um, 
if I can find it. Question number three, where are you? Ah, why was the fee so important? What do you guys have? Anybody? Closure. Closure, okay, good. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. We're celebrating God in there. Yeah. Okay. So as a demonstration to others, right? Okay. A memorial. Very good. Right. And he tells them, pass this down to your children. This is something you need to remember. This is important. I want you to remember this. I want your children to remember this. I want your children's children to remember this. God will deliver you from bondage. He is the great redeemer, and he can, he can overcome any bondage and deliver you into freedom. Okay? But um, I also need you to remember through this ceremony, you need to purge out the old leaven, cleanse the leaven out, all right? So there's this... Um, passing on. Why is it important? Well, well, number one, in Leviticus 23, God says, I need you to do this. Um, this is a holy convocation unto me. This is not man-made. This is the Lord. Okay, And he's reminding them to do it, um, to remember him on an annual basis and remember what he did. So it's very important, one, because the Lord said do it. So whatever the Lord says, do it, uh, it tends to mean something. Two, it's very symbolic because guess what? What are they doing? They're eating unleavened bread and remembering that they were delivered by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, what do we do at communion? It's the same thing. This is a memorial he's setting up way back, way, way back before Christ ever shows up, and he means for it to, to translate into our New Testament times as a believer. Okay? We're supposed to eat the matzah and drink the fruit of the vine that reminds us of the blood because that is the new covenant. That is the new feast of unleavened bread and Passover. That is the symbolism that's in here. So God didn't just randomly set it up so that he could say, yeah, it's kind of a nice thing to do. Maybe I'll have him do it every year. Uh, he, he's picturing down the road us coming to communion, doing the same thing. And, and why do we do? And he says, as often as you do this, you remember me, right? And why do we have to do it? Because it reminds us of what Christ did. Just like they needed to be reminded, okay, on an annual basis that they were delivered from bondage and that there was this sinlessness that had been taken from, uh, um, from them and they had been justified. But they were to keep purging out the leaven throughout the year. That reminder, okay, reminded them to live well. What do you think? Think about it. They went around the house gathering it up. I mean, what is that reminding them? Get this stuff out of here. 
You know, let's cleanse the whole house. The whole, get, get, find every nook and cranny and take a good look. Is there leaven there? Let's purge this out, okay? And so we have that same sort of um, ability to sort of look inwardly now in our times of communion and say, wait, Christ died for me. Is there anything that's in me that's sort of unworthy of that? Let me get it out of here. Let me remind myself that, that there was a steep price paid for me to be sinless. So let me look inward, find the nooks and crannies where the leaven's hiding, and cleanse it out and get rid of it. Purge out the leaven because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? Any questions? All right. We went a few minutes over, but we did pretty good. All right, Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you that things that happened uh, thousands of years ago have so much uh, vitality and life and meaning for us today. Um, only the Bible, living, active, breathing, word of God can do that. And I, I praise you for it. And I pray that um, all of us, Lord, would be reminded that we don't have to live in condemnation or shame because we are justified by, by the Lamb of God who shed his blood for us. But we also, Lord, want to live worthy of the calling for which you've called us. We want to be holy because you're holy. So help us. Uh, it's difficult at times, Lord, for us to get past some things, and we need your strength and your power, the power of the Holy Spirit to break free of uh, some, some things in our lives. So help us, Lord, to want to and desire to, Keep a clean house and purge of leaven and help us by the power of your spirit to break free of anything that's sort of crept in. Um, we want to do both. We want to be reminded that we are sinless in your sight, but we also want to be reminded that you want us to kind of stay that way if we can. So uh, help us, Lord, with that. And bless everybody that came. Give them safe travels home. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.